Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into the Deal Farm podcast where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode of the Deal Farm, we're going to take a second to remember that investing in real estate isn't always as glamorous as it looks on television. Trust me, I of all people know what the TV side and reality side looks like. We're going to be chatting with a few of my friends about what it looks like when a deal goes sideways. Buckle up. This episode is going to be a doozy. Hey friends, Ken Corsini here. Hope you guys are having an amazing day. My brother is actually off this week. He's in California doing all sorts of fun academic stuff. So you are stuck with me. But I thought it would be a lot of fun to dig back into the archives and pull out some of the interesting interviews I've had with some of my friends over the years, specifically as it pertains to their worst deals. Because it's it's good to get a reminder every now and then that real estate isn't all bells and whistles and butterflies and flowers and all those other happy things. Sometimes real estate is just hard and sometimes it just sucks. And not every deal's a winner. And the question is, what can we learn from somebody else's mistakes? And I think there's lots to be gleaned through listening to other people's mistakes. I'm, I'm, I can guarantee you that I've got hours and hours of stories that I could uh, share with you guys about mistakes I've made over the years that you just have to be in the business to have experienced. And it's the same with my friends. When you're doing lots of deals, chances are you're going to trip over some experiences that you didn't anticipate. You're, you're going to take some lumps. You're going to lose some money. And that's just the reality of being in real estate. It doesn't mean don't get into real estate. It doesn't mean stay away. This is not meant to scare anybody out of real estate, but they are cautionary tales that be careful, you know, go in with your eyes wide open, stick to what you know in a lot of cases. It's funny. There's a common theme, I feel like, in a handful of these stories where people step out into something that's not really in their wheelhouse and they end up getting burned as a result. So... Guys, buckle in. Hope you enjoy these next four stories from a few of my good friends. All right, I'm with my good friend, Corey Peterson. Corey, I want to hear about your worst deal ever. God, this is going to be painful. Uh-oh, <laughs> we're going to tear open that old scab, man. Oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my, my worst deal ever, dude. You know, I bought my first deal, and it was great. We, you know, it was an amazing deal. So I thought I was invincible. And so I bought my second apartment deal and um, I bought a little smaller deal than I should have. I bought, um, but I bought it close to me. So I thought, oh, I can go, I can take care of this property worst case something happens. But my first mistake is I hired a regional management company that was out of South Carolina, out of Atlanta, because my first property was in South Carolina. Right. Uh, but the property that I just bought was in uh, Tucson, Arizona million miles away. Wow. Yep. I, but I thought that, oh, they're doing such a good job at this property that they could do it on this new property. Um, no, they can't. Regional management companies are regional for a reason yep. because it's staff and people and processes. And yep. so they failed. And so they weren't doing, they were, we're having a problem with personnel. We can never really keep the right people in it. The numbers were not doing so well. And so then I decided to do something really smart, but not really. Because <laughs> I decided that I was going to self-manage this property because it was oh, a little smaller. It was in my backyard, an hour and a half away. I mean, I can solve it. I can do it. Um, that was I failed miserably. 
Um, I learned that people can steal, people can, uh, uh, you can get a fair housing complaint put on you. You can, um, Oh crap. Oh yeah, man. Like the list goes on. Oh no. <laughs> I had to have security cameras just to watch my employees and to watch the parking. Cause uh, you know, are they going to show up? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, at this point they're your employees. So how many, yeah. pe how many, how many people did you hire to kind of run it for you on site? It was only two because the property could only afford two people. And this is, okay. this is what I learned too. This is why I only buy big deals now is when you have a small apartment complex, like 75 units, which is this was, it could afford two people, a maintenance person and a, uh, you know, a, a, an office admin. Right. Right. The manager. right. Yep. But like when two people are together, they're like, Hey, wink, wink. Um, guess what? I'm working today. And then they show, they don't show and they cover each other. If you have three, it doesn't happen. I don't know why that is, but it doesn't happen. That's because, interesting. Right? But one-on-one, -on -one, man, they talk and they, they, make, they plan and scheme. And so uh, I, just, I continue to have problems with staff, keeping them there and making them work. Then I found that I was just, in, I was just very inefficient. Um, meanwhile, I'm not being able to pay my investors the return that I had promised. Okay? Now, this happened for a year and a half. So the first eight months, we hired a management company. The next eight months, um, Corey decided to try to self-manage. <laughs> right. And so it's two, two whammies in a row. Yeah. And by this, I'm, I'm really now starting to get like, my investors are starting to get upset. And by the way, those monthly investor calls are the hardest calls, like two years of not really sleeping Oof. at night. Oof. I had those hard conversations of why now and they believed in me yeah you know but we're going now but on the year and a half not so much anymore yeah so much. right yeah so now finally i just decided i gave up i'm like man i just need to find and i went back to what i what i'm really good at is being resourceful and so i was like dude there's got to be a local management company here that's great sure and within like one day I found it They're called MEB. They're in Tucson. They're a large management company. They have all the resources. And within two months, they turned the property around. Like, oh, gosh, I mean, like we went to 95%, like we were at 82, 83% occupancy to 95 in two months. Oh my gosh. I'm just like, Oh my God, I wish. And so there was a light and a, and a glimmer of hope. And what I was, but by this time, my investors are like, Corey, can we sell this thing? Can we just sell it? Yeah. And, um, and so we did. And I ended up losing $160,000 of my own money. Um, and, you know, half of those. And here's the thing with raising money is you never get a second chance. It, the people that was the first time ever giving me money, I raised uh, like $1.8 million of, of capital for that project. Yep. And the people that were their first time, about $800,000, first time ever investing with me, I'll never see them again. And my name is Mud. Yeah, totally. Okay? Even though I, I made them whole. Uh, but the great thing is the other investors had invested in other deals and they just, and they were happy. They're like, you know what? You can't win them all. And they went on to another project. Wow. But for me, the reason this is my worst deal ever is because for two years, I'm telling you sleepless nights Yeah. When you're, when you're really stressed, when you have the weight of $1.8 million on yeah. your back and yeah. you didn't follow your underwriting guidelines and you just, you thought you could do it yourself. Yeah. Um, hard lessons to learn. Ooh, two years I'm of sleepless more, nights. Yeah. I'm way more conservative now in my underwriting 
of what I think a deal should be yep. than I ever could have been if I didn't go through that experience. Totally. So believe it or not, I'm actually thankful that it happened. Sure. Any experienced investor, I feel like, that has done enough deals, has taken enough lumps that they become better at their craft because of it. You're, you're more cautious. You're more conservative. You know, their, their money is safer with you now because of this. I, in fact, really, when I look at people underwriting deals sometimes in this, in this environment, that when the market's crazy. It's really hot. And I think that's the biggest mistake is they don't stick to their laurels of underwriting very conservatively. Because, listen, if you find a fat deal and it gets skinny, we're all, all okay. Yeah. But if you find a skinny deal and it gets skinny, er, yeah. Listen, Ooh. there's big trouble in Little China. Yeah. Did you have trouble making the debt payment on this on this particular property? We're we're always able to make the debt payment and to service the deal and, and run the deal financially, but we were never able to really make an, an investor payment. Yeah. And I honestly, that's the that's the biggest one. Yeah. Like besides right. the mortgage, I mean that's a big one too. But like. The next is your investors. Yeah, and um, you know they're they're in it for profit. They they put their uh, talents in me to go do it, and I felt bad because I wasn't. And I, I really thought I could I could do it myself. Yeah. I self manage this thing to profitability. And what I realized is, listen, Corey, you just need help. Ask ask for help. Ask for advice. As soon as I put those goggles on, um, things got real clear on what the next choice was and how to sell for X. Yeah, yeah. Lesson learned, tough lesson to learn, man. But everybody, anybody that's experienced has been there at some point in time where they're just feeling the weight of the world. And eventually you turn it around and you did, you turned it around, you took some lumps in the process, but you're better for it, right? That's it, man. Awesome. Well, Corey, thanks so much. Always to fail. That's right. You're exactly right. You won't, you won't take any chances if you don't. Yep. Thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Man, a brutal reminder that just because you had success on your first multifamily deal does not guarantee success on your second multifamily deal. And sometimes you just got to roll up your sleeves, dig in, and will yourself to profitability. Um, all right, so this next one, this next story is going to be some good friends of mine, Glenn and Amber Schwarm, originally out of New York. Now they're actually based in Florida, and they have a doozy of a story. And it's a good reminder to stay in your lane, stay with what works. And be careful of your buyer pool. Don't buy properties that are outside your typical buyer pool. All right, without further ado, here's Glenn and Amber. All right, I'm with my good friends, Glenn and Amber Schwarm out of upstate New York. Guys, I want to hear about your worst deal ever. Ah. <laughs> well, we've had a few over the years. Out of, out of 600 plus deals, you have a few. You know, you do this long enough, you're going to have stuff. People that, say, people that say to me, I've never lost money. I said, well, you haven't done enough deals. Yep. That's right. You're exactly right. <laughs> Because <laughs> you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit eventually. So happen. I'm probably thinking about the one on the 57 acre, right? Yeah, the contemporary house. So we bought a house. What do you want to know about it? I want everything. Where'd you buy it? What'd you buy it for? Why'd you buy it? It was in Glenville, about 15 minutes away from where we live. And okay. it was at the top of this super steep dirt road hill. And those of you who know how the Northeast is in the winter, it was very treacherous. Getting, let me let me back let me back yeah. up. It, that, it was on 57 acres 57 too. 57 acres, yeah. Holy I mean, God. the driveway alone was probably a mile long. Yeah, wow. you, you, yeah, you couldn't subdivide. But here's how we found it. This is crazy. We ran a help wanted ad for like an assistant at the office, and it had our name, signature, home buyers in yeah. the in the ad. And she called up and said, "I'm gonna apply for the job. And by the way, do you buy houses?" And we're like, "Yes." So we didn't hire her but we ended up buying the house. It was a strange situation. She was actually um, kind of 
captive is the wrong word. She had a, she went out and did, but she had a very mind controlling man in the house that she couldn't get out of the house. Hmm. Even though the house was fully in her name, he kind of had her kind of had her wrapped up pretty tight, and she wanted she needed to escape. So we had to help her get out of the house. She asked, "We said, will you please help me do the paper? We'll, we'll help you all that kind of stuff. Let's get get me out of this situation, and then she could slip out in the night and do her thing, and we had to get him out. Whatever. So wow. it all worked out. It was a little bit crazy, but that's how we found it. Was off an ad. So this house was like Amber said, it was on 57 acres of land, um, two ponds. The lawn was about four acres. Oh my the mowed, the mowed lawn, the driveway was maybe half, uh, I don't think by half, probably a good third to a half a mile long. When you're driving up in wow. the winter, it's not like a mile long. And it was yeah, yeah. steep. No rails on the side. And a, and a drop off with trees on the side. Like a, like a good, like probably a, you know, 60, 70 foot drop off. It's a good drop off with no, no rails. And the water certainly works its way down and washes it out and a little ice. bit. Yeah. The former owner used to park an SUV at the bottom and then get on a four wheeler and go up to the house. Wow. You get, you get up there. It's a beautiful contemporary 4,000 square foot, very unique house. We had wow. never bought anything like this before, but we bought it for 205. Holy cow. So I'm thinking... 205 what year was right. this um it was well it was because i was in the hospital so cruz was born in 15 it was the end of 14 yeah so Damn. we buy for 205 she had to get out she's like i just want and, and the house the, the inside she couldn't keep up with the amount of work they needed it needed a lot of work and the mate well we'll talk about that in a minute but the mate just to keep the lawn mowed and to keep the driveway plowed was a, a ton of money yeah. I mean, and pain and just whatever but the house is very custom so it was so custom that the basement in this one section, the basement was so tall, there was a full basketball court in there. Like not, like not oh, a full boy. basketball court, but a, but a, um, a hoop. And, yeah. and, a, and enough to shoot a free throw. And it was like, it was probably what, 15, 18 feet tall in there? Oh my goodness. And they, and they may or may not have grown pot in one of the other rooms. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had a weed, they had a weed room for sure in the basement. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, so anyway, so we, we, we buy this house and um, we, we start the renovations on it. And we realized quickly that this is not, not something we've done before, right? This is a big house. It had radiant heat all throughout the floors. Um, there was some freezing stuff in that. There was a, just a lot that we weren't used to. It had a, the, the well was up there and it had a thousand or 1500 gallon buried water tank and a buried oil tank, a new one, but a buried oil tank stuff we'd never really dealt with before. Yeah. And so we're trying to figure all that out. And but it had a lot of unique features too. It, was, it wasn't a traditional house, so it's not like you could just go and put the same stuff you always use in. I mean, everything had to be specifically picked out, you know, between the light, you know, contemporary light fixtures and vanities. And I mean, just everything had to be, you know, it had to fit the style of the house. And I think one thing you don't always think about too, when you're, you know, like the normal house that we do is between probably 1,500 and 2,000 square feet. Yep. 2,000 probably on the high side. Yep. I mean, this house was... 4,000. 4,000 square feet. So the time it takes you just to do totally. the simple task of painting yep. and skin coating the walls and, you know, everything else you have to do, the size of it just makes it take longer. That's so right. And an outside patio we had to worry about. All those deck, up, yeah. Big, big, deck, like a patio. You could oh, see roof, for almost a rooftop patio yeah. with the fire pit up there, the almost, fireplace up there, yeah. About 100 miles you could see from the rooftop. A stunning view. There, yeah. Was like, this like really a cool. second home type home or was this, it's, I mean, almost. It was a was local like a business owner who built this custom for himself back in his heyday. He is a guy that sold appliances, kind of like an 80s appliances kind of guy like yeah. you see maybe. And he was like one of those guys. So he was really well known in the area. 
Okay. And he, I didn't know that till after. The, the, and it, 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 I'm sorry. It was, no. it was really dated too. Like you go in the master bathroom and it had the big, huge corner, like mauve pink tub and pink sinks right. and pink toilet. And there was like green marble tile in the formal living room. And the cell phone service was great because there was a cell phone tower on our property. Now we thought we could subdivide that land and sell it. The former owner, not sell it, but lease it. Yeah. The former owner was getting like 15 grand a year to lease that piece of, and he still gets it. He'll get that forever because that cell phone tower is on his property. So he, so he, owned, he owned, carved out just that little yes, piece for himself. Yes. Yeah. Very smart. Smart. Because we're thinking that, because that's what we're going to do. We're like, oh, let's carve that out. And then we're like, crap, you already got to it. <laughs> so anyway, so we start doing the deal and we get over our heads on it. You know, it's a lot of work to do. And we're anticipating like $180,000 profit on this house. We're anticipating a big number on it. We think it's gonna, we bought it for 205. It should sell for 600,000. We'll put a hundred some thousand into it. Our holding costs are maybe 50, 60,000. You know, big, big holding costs for big money. And mm-hmm. just the power alone was five, 600 bucks a month in the winter time to heat it here. Sure. And, and then you gotta plow the driveway. And you know, the driveway, that was one of those winters where it snowed all winter. And it was like 400 or 300 bucks a time to plow the driveway. And I think the lawn was 400 bucks to mow it because it was four acres. And every time, every time he got done, he had to start over again. He like never stopped mowing, you know, <laughs> it was nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. So we, we had a lot of stuff there. So we ended up doing the house and we sold it. And when all was said and done, we pocketed a ripe $4,000 on that deal. You know. Wow. So that's though we didn't lose job. money, it sure felt like we lost money. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah right. All, we lost time and effort and risk and all yeah. that other stuff. But the, the other thing, the other big lesson that I took from it too was, you know, number one, what did we sell that for? About around five? Around 578. We, 578. we, we tried to sell it for 699 for several months so no one bit. for our area that's on the really high end so sure, yes. number one your buyer's pool for that amount of money is much much smaller than yep. the two hundred thousand dollar houses that we sell that usually sell within a week yeah um so we were dealing with a much smaller buyer buyer's pool to begin with but then on top of that you couple that with a contemporary house and most of the right. houses around here are very traditional yeah. so that was a big 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 learning lesson is you know if you are going to go on the higher end stick with a traditional house because having a contemporary house made an already small buyer pool even smaller yeah we can we law i tell you what we really what really hurt us was holding costs yep so we held that house for almost two years oh Just, crap oh you it had it took, for that long it took forever. We, we had to take it off the market in the winter. I went up there in the winter. I remember literally going down the driveway and it, the way it was structured, a lot of shade, there was ice on top and it, was the, it would melt and it would go down and make, make ice down where this cliff was. I was going down on my SUV, literally, my, and I'm used to driving in snow, I'm not scared of it, but I started to slide and I realized I had zero control. I unbuckled, I opened the door because I thought to myself, I'm I'll let the car go. I'm not going to die here. Yeah, and I yeah. literally, at the last second, my tire caught some gravel and it pulled me over to the other side. And I was able to sit, collect my thoughts, and then get, and then kind of, but it was a scary moment. I thought, and I sure. said, we can't sell this now. So we took it off the market. And then we found out we had more problems with it. We had stuff to do in the winter, in the summertime, and we held it, we priced it too high for too long. Yeah, yeah. We kept thinking, well, someone will come along. Right. The minute we lowered it by $100,000, we started getting some foot traffic, and then we finally sold it. But I think, and then it took that guy like three months to close because it was all kinds of problems because of the land and where it was and whatever. So the whole thing, I think our holding costs were, I was anticipating like 50 grand. I think our holding costs were like 180 grand or 200 mm. grand holding costs. So wow. we're having to mow it, plow it, keep yeah. the pond cleaned out, you know, the heating, all that stuff. It, it just, 
everything and the taxes on that house were oh, yeah. eighteen thousand dollars a year. Oh my gosh. Eighteen G. Yeah. Yeah, you're in the South, man. You don't know what it's like up here in the north. It's brutal with taxes. Yeah. And that that house was a killer. So yeah. we paid thirty six grand in taxes just for the privilege of owning that for two years. And then not everybody wanted to live by a cell phone tower either because yes. of the radiation. Oh yeah, yeah. Issues. Was it real yeah. close to the yeah. house? It was pretty close to the yeah. house. Okay. So that, that shrunk the buyer's pool even smaller. I mean, the fact, yeah. the fact that I had a third eye pop in front of my head, I wasn't sure what the problem was when I was talking to people. Right. There's nothing wrong with this place. <laughs> There's nothing wrong here. So it was crazy. You know, really, it, we learned a ton from it. But financially, it was probably one of our worst deals because we were expecting to make close to 200 and we made $4,000. Yeah. So it was a sad day. Very anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, exactly. Hey, at least you didn't, you didn't lose money on it. I mean, that's that's good. You lost a lot of time and effort and energy. Oh, oh we, we lost money. Yeah, I mean. we lost. Yeah, it feels like we lost money when you start putting your, we start putting our time into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. That's insane. Crazy. You know, it's a, it is a common theme, even in my business and other people's business too. It's like you step outside of your lane into, to, into something that's just way different than what you do day to day. And especially if you see big dollar signs and a lot of times you just don't know it well enough. You didn't know right. what it was like to take on such a massive house and project, especially with land and maintaining land and you got stung. You just yep. did, yeah, you just don't think about all that stuff that the, the thing we teach our students is to always make sure you buy right. Cause if you buy it right, at least if you screw up, you, you can take a minimal loss. You know what I mean? If you, now, if, if we had bought that house for, for 300 grand, we'd have lost $100,000. You know, yeah, if we, if yeah. we had paid that. That's now, right. what, what would I have done differently? Everything. That sucker, man. I would have, hold, I would have wholesaled that all day long. Because I think for the amount of land and the house, somebody would have paid us 300 grand for it, yep. just as is. Yep. It, totally. it was assessed for six something. So I think that, that would have been the case. But, totally. you know, live and learn. Live and learn. Guys, that was a good house. I hate it for you. At least on paper, you didn't lose money. So we'll give right. you a little pat on the back for that. Yeah. Glenn and Amber, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for Ken. having us, Ken. All right. Talk soon. Bye. What a great reminder from Glenn and Amber that it is so utterly important to buy right, especially if you're going to buy something that's outside your normal lane, something you don't typically deal in. And I've got another story lined up right now with Joe Lieber, a good friend of mine out of Cleveland, Ohio, who did something similar, except it wasn't a single family house. He stepped into the multifamily space and man, did he take a few lumps on the chin. Hope you enjoy this next story with Joe. All right. I'm with my good friend, Joe Lieber out of Cleveland, Ohio. And Joe, I want to hear about your nastiest, grossest, worst deal ever. Oh, you know, I got those, brother. You know, I got those, man. 20 years in the real estate business, if you don't have uh, scrapes and bruises, you're not playing hard enough. No doubt. You're not in the business if you don't have a couple <laughs> exactly. of those, Exactly. So let's hear. What do you got? Uh, all right, man. So, you know, I've been in the business since 1997, and I was trudging along there, you know, uh, with single-family homes and maybe some two families from 97 till 2009. Wow. 2009, I decided, hey, man, you know, it's time to get shit rich. I'm ready to make some real money, dude. Right. Everybody tells me you got to buy commercial real estate, man. You want to, you want to be like Donald Trump, bro. You need to get commercial real estate. Right. Okay. All right, let's do it. So I went out there and I found a, a, a off market 48 unit apartment building here in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Like, this is it, boy. This is my one. This is, I'm going to kill it. So I, I found it off market. I negotiate with the seller I negotiate everything right, man. Like yeah. it's 09, the market's in the tank. Yeah. He's, this guy's literally 90 years old and uh, he wants to sell, man. And yeah. what was crazy, it's so awesome. It's like he offered me owner financing. 
Oh crap. He goes, give me 20% down. I paid $850,000 for this building. Okay. Gave 20% down and he carried a mortgage, a 30 year term mortgage at 5%. Dang man. I just better get the bank. Like how could you not make money like this? I'm like, even if I overpay for it, which I didn't think I was, I was like, man, you know, uh, at 5%, I mean, no closing costs, stuff like this, a dream deal. Sure. So, um, hmm, that's when the fun starts. So I, I get this building, man, and it's all bad, brother. It's all bad. <laughs> Everything about it's bad. Everything is expensive. Like, I, I'm, it had a, it, this building had eight front doors on it, right, for eight different, like, corridors or sections of the building. Right. And, like, my first experience was, the, 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 the door was broken and the commercial doorman comes out and he says to me, Hey, the new door is $4,200. I'm like, 4,200. I'm like, dude, I can put a new door on my single family home for 300 bucks. And he explained to me, he goes, he goes, listen, young boy. I was 29 years old. I bought this building. By the way, so call me a young oh, boy. And he says to me, he goes, listen, dude, he's like a single family home, the front door, but single family home, the door opens eight to 10 times a day at max. This door is going to open about 180 times a day. Because wow. those crappy Home Depot hinges aren't going to support, buddy. You need steel, man. <laughs> Real steel hinges and steel door because that's not going to be able to handle it. Oh, no. That was my first wake-up call, man. And that, that just escalates, right, from the, the boilers were 15000 a boiler versus, you know, 1000 bucks to put a furnace in. Right. The roof was $90,000, needed to be repaired. The, the, the parking lot was $50,000 to re-asphalt it. Uh, the... The, the gas bill, right? Because it was, it was a garden-style building where it was three levels. Yeah. Well, heat rises. So people on the third floor would open their windows because it was very hard to control the heat no matter what. Wow. So I'm really just blowing heat out the windows. <laughs> uh, you know, people take – because I'm paying the water bill, you know, the showers are a little bit longer. You know, sure. you don't – the, the care level is not there, you know. Right. The management issues, the, the beating the, the property takes. Um, what about tenants? Turn, I mean, were, yeah, the, man. were they, I mean, what was the price point of those apartments? 500 a month. That's a tricky price point, man. It is, man. And it, the turnover is crazy. It was yeah. crazy, the turnover. Right. As soon as someone goes in, someone's going out, someone's not paying, there's a slow pay, you're waiting. You could never, it was just, there's no consistency, man. Right, right. And it's very hard to run a building like that when you're, I, I would say I was, my effective occupancy. So there's a difference between occupancy and effective occupancy. You know, I might have shown 90% occupy, but effectively I'm bringing in about 72 to 75% of the rents on a monthly basis. Really? And it's 75% effective occupancy. Dude, you, you're treading water at best. Yeah. And that's what happens. So yeah, I would pay the bills, but I'm breaking even month, breaking even. Or if I made a couple of grand, you better keep it because you know that roof needs to be done. And somehow you get $90,000 to do a roof. Golly. It was, dude, it was expensive. It just, it never made sense. And if I had to do a CapEx item, I'd have to raise money. Or I remember a couple of times I would actually have to call the owner and say, because it was a private loan, I'd say, sir, I have to update the breaker boxes for the insurance. Can you give me six months off on the bill, on the, on the monthly mortgage payment? Maybe just add it to the back end. Wow. He was cool. He did he that did? Oh, me, that's cool. He did it like three or four times for me on a 10-year period. Wow. But that building stole. 10 years of my life, dude. You don't know the hours that went into that thing. <laughs> so were you doing a lot of the management yourself or do you had an on-site manager? I had an on-site manager that I okay. had to manage. Yeah, sure. You know, and that, that was rough, man. Yeah. 
and and then the, and then just to wrap it up, I know this is a, I know this is a short one here, but just to wrap this up, and then the final ass kicking came, <laughs> where after ten years of owning the building, and I I sold it for what I paid for it, so I broke broke even, but you really didn't between security deposit returns and uh, final utility bills. But the final ass kicking came where all the things that like I wrote off and the depreciation I took, yeah, there was depreciation recapture. Oh yeah. So I got like a $250,000 K1 that I had to pay uh tax oh, on, ordinary gosh. income tax on for depreciation recapture. Ah, oh, dude. Look, it's say, not for I, me. You didn't I'm want to really, won that. I I I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. You're done. I was done, dude. Yeah. I'm done. You know, whatever. It was a good lesson. I know this though. I'm really good at single family homes. It's my right. niche. I have 20 yeah. years. I'm awesome at it. It works well. That just what works for me. So when these guys are about scaling their multifamily businesses and stuff, great, good. I'm glad it works for you. You're going to cut your teeth though. Anyone going to, to go buy a hundred unit building or whatever you want to buy, just know going in, you're going to cut your teeth. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So, Man, that's, so I guess it's, this being your first one, you probably didn't know to all the due diligence items in terms of what are the CapEx that are coming up and what am I really acquiring this property for? Because really, in exactly. hindsight, you were acquiring it for 850 plus all those things that you knew needed to be done in the first three years. Exactly. And you just don't think that through. And then I thought I could get them done a lot cheaper. I mean, yeah. it was 4,200 bucks right. a door and I had eight of them. Yeah. Dang, man. I thought they could put a door a thousand bucks, maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then again, so you sold it, you know, for what you paid for it but you still probably put, put all the CapEx into it and then all the hours over 10 years of your life. Yeah, that's really where the opportunity cost is. Yeah. That's the opportunity cost right there. That's just it really was. drain. And, that, and, and even the K, K1 hurt, that hurt to pay. I don't know what the net pay I, I had to pay on that K1, but it was a lot, man. That's, you know, then that's a really good point too. People love depreciation, but man, you better have a strategy in place to 1031 yeah, and keep, you know, kicking the ball down the, down, down the court or you're going to get stuck with a big old recapture like you did. Exactly. And you can 1031 if you don't need the money. Yeah. I mean, what if you need the money? Like That's things true. are expensive, dude. Like, yeah. like we talked about, talked about on another episode, you know, cars and country clubs and private schools. Dude, you need cash flow and money for that true. stuff too, man. That's right. Yeah. So, be, be ready to take that tax hit if you've been uh, either way, whether or not yeah, you've been man. taking depreciation. Joe, I appreciate you sharing with us, man. I, I remember when I was in Cleveland with you and you, I, this was 2014. You didn't even have it that long. And I remember you telling me what a pain in the butt this property was. So yeah, Kudos man. to you for selling it, though. I know it feels Thank good you, to get man. rid of a property like that. Oh, yeah, dude. It feels real good. Yeah. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Take care, buddy. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. Oh, man. I remember actually hanging out with Joe in Cleveland around that time period when he owned that property and what an albatross that was. So I can just imagine the relief when he got that sucker sold. And trust me, I've been there before, too. There have been plenty of houses over the years that I was just, we literally went out and celebrated when they finally sold. Well, this next story is a good buddy of mine, Randy Lawrence, based out of Florida. And he's actually an active multifamily investor now, but this particular story is about a, a property that he owned in Florida that's really, I think this, it's probably a little bit more specific to Florida, the, the particular issue that he ran into. But I'll tell you what, I'll just let him tell the story. Hey folks, I'm here with my good buddy, Randy Lawrence, and we're going to talk about his worst deal ever. Randy, tell me about your worst deal. Ah, man, I tell you, it's, uh, it's tough. I know, but all right, here it is. When I first started off in the single family space flipping, it probably was, I, you know, we started in 03. It's probably like 05-ish, something like that. Bought a house that uh, we were buying in a particular neighborhood. That 
private lender was my father-in-law. So again, like, Oh no. Oh, family. It's already shaping up. Right. Right. And then, and so we buy the house and then we, you know, we get the cruise go over there. It's uh, I think it, yeah, it was, I believe it was an REO. We buy the house and the crews go over there to start working on it. And then we start to see that there's issues with the home, you know, that were unseen before. And then we see uh, some sinkage issues going on with the house. And we're like, what's the deal here? What, is, so what does that look like? Cracks in the walls? Cracks, and, and then even too, within one of the rooms, the sloping uh, in oh. the uh, foundation that's a poured foundation. So I get it if you're on piers, but this is a poured foundation. It's like, holy crap, this is not good. Dang. Right? And so what is an REO? They don't have to disclose anything. It's as is where it is, yeah, right? for sure. And so then, you know, uh, you know, we'd own the property for probably at that point, like whatever, two months. And just cause we're, you know, doing a bunch of other things. And so we get in there, find that I actually have another uh, attorney that we use as the title company and the closing agent. And they're like, man, you may have some issues here. Part of their business is also sinkhole. Uh, and so I, my heart's like, ah, Oh my God. That's like a, like, Oh, Holy crap. Words. We just went from a house that's going to work with my father-in-law to you've just got a giant turd, right? I'm like, oh my God, you know? And uh, <laughs> That's so, hilarious. yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was painful, man. Like, so, so this is really kind of unique to Florida though, right? I mean, we don't think calls so, in yeah, Georgia. So now Florida, yeah, Florida, and especially the area we are in from like, uh, you know, probably, you know, whatever, 30 miles north of Tampa to, you know, 30 miles south of Tampa to 40 miles uh, east. That's kind of like the sinkhole alley. Now, then there's some other areas, but it's because of, and I found this out because of having gone through this, it's like, you know, the groundwater and the limestone that occurs underneath in the natural aquifers. So part of the, 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 the subgrade soil will collapse down and it's necessarily the sinkhole, it's sinking. And then the top grade sinks and then the house, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. It's like, you're like, holy crap, what is, you know, and it's like, so then we had to, you know, switch up gears because it's like, what are we going to do, you know, and then so you're looking like, at a total right, loss. This is a total loss. For sure, you know, so it's like, holy crap, you know, so we, we filed the claim with the insurance company to see like, you know, is it a sinkhole? What's going on? Because then now they got to come out and, you know, do all this sub uh, straight investigations under the ground and all that. And then you know, the insurance company, they're like, Oh yeah, no, it's not a sinkhole, you know? And like, of course you know, they are yeah, for right. sure. And they're like, yeah, we'll take your money, but we don't want to give you none. You know? But so and there's so a that, special, is that a special rider for sinkhole or do all policies down there well, cover, cover sinkhole? Did. All policies had that in it, you know, okay. but then because of the amount that, that later was going on here in Florida, then they, they made some changes to it. But uh, at that time it was just automatic, you know, within the policy. And so then I had to engage our title company, the attorney. I'm like, look, man, He's like, well, dude, I could have told you, man, this is like, you're going to have to litigate this, you know, because they don't want to give you any money. They're going to deny it. So we then, so it's like, you know, one, you're thinking like, you're going to rehab this house. You're in and out and whatever, four months. It's like, yeah, no. So now I'm like going to my, my father-in-law, you know, Hey, uh, you know, dad, I got a 
share some news here with you. Oh my gosh. How you know, difficult is that? Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, cause he's lent the money to us. You know, we're, we started in 03. This is maybe two years in. So we're not like the rock stars that we are today, yeah. you know, with the confidence level and all that. And so having to say, well, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rent the home and, you know, uh, you know, pay you. And, and then once we get this resolved, I'll refinance out the home. And, you know, so it's a lot of like, uh, you know, kind of painful navigating. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it definitely. And I mean, again, it was looking like it's a total loss, right? Yeah, I mean, right. So four years later, on the fighting back and forth, I mean, just good Lord, the insurance companies put you through hell. It was like a miracle of God. They came in and finally just like we're going to go to trial and all this. And it genuinely is like a miracle from the Lord. They came in and said, we're going to settle and we'll pay you full policy value. I mean, it was like, boom, the worst deal ever turned into the best deal ever. It was like, Oh my gosh. It was like, you know, so we were able to pay off the mortgage. And uh, in fact, we still have that house, you know, own free and clear guys renting it you know so you can rent you can rent it so there's no fear of it like just collapsing yeah, not, on it it's, yeah no not because it's not that there's different levels of sinkhole right okay. so there's some sinkholes it's just a little bit there's others like when i lived on uh, lakefront uh, community north of tampa we sold our house when we moved to the beach and like a month later six houses one like two streets over boom just collapsed in and, and two houses literally fell into the ground thankfully nobody was in them and hurt but that oh can happen. Gosh. Yeah, that's kind of what I think of when I hear sinkhole. Yeah, for sure. That's what they show on the news. Like, because that does happen, you know, maybe once every couple of years. But yeah. so, yeah, it was the worst deal ever. The emotions of it, dealing with my father-in-law, sure. you know, yeah. that was terrible. But by, again, kind of stepping back from the emotional pain of it, taking the steps that we could take, making wise decisions as best that could be made, it yep. turned out for the good. Lemonade out of lemons, man. Right. For sure. And that's the thing I would say that even too, as I look at other situations, it's like, look, even though something may not be palatable, even though it's a difficult thing that you may be going through, it's like, it's really actually working for the good. Yeah. That's the truth of what really I believe God's promise is that if yep. we stay focused, stay the right course, it's all going to work for our advantage. Yep. And that's exactly what shook out on this deal. That's good. That's the man talk about taking a negative and turning it into something positive. Randy, yeah, this sure. was awesome, man. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you so much, brother. You have an awesome day today. You too. See you, buddy. Take care. What a great way to wind down today's episode of Scary Stories. You know, sometimes what feels like a horrible situation, at least when viewed through the lens of experience and time, can actually be chalked up to education. You know, as an active real estate investor, you're going to have these types of experience. It's just the nature of the beast. When you take risks, sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. And when you don't win, chalk it up to experience because you're going to be a better investor for it in the long run. And remember, if you don't take risks, you never win. Real estate investing is, this is what it is. It's a literally a series of calculated risks. And it's the reason that 90% of millionaires made their money in real estate. Folks, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, even if it was a little bit scary. And I hope to see you back here next week on The Deal Farm. Take care. 
Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.